and we are live. We're back, guys. Welcome to episode, Rankable episode 49. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas, Senior Account Executive at iPull Rank. I'm joined by my terrific, one of the best demand gen managers in the game, Garrett Sussman. How's it going, brother? Yo, what's good? Doing good, man. Thank you for always being here, man. Thank you for everything, man. And we have a very, very special topic today. So what we want to talk about, guys, is product-led SEO, and we've got one of the masters here. So we have a, a special guest. He's an SEO expert, a consultant with more than a decade of experience, driving successful SEO and growth programs for leading B2B and B2C companies. He's worked and helped companies like WordPress, Shutterstock, Blue Now, Get Around, Mixpanel, Zendesk, and many others, and helped them build and execute global SEO strategies that increase organic visibility at scale. And he's also the author of one of the top-selling books, Around SEO, product-led SEO is the name, and I'd like to introduce our our guest today, Eli Schwartz. How you how you doing, brother? Hey, great to be here. I love hearing that intro. I was like, all right, did I write it well enough? <laughs> <laughs> man, but thank you for thank you for having us, man. Thank you for, for joining, taking time out your day, man. We're super excited to have you. Um, I know we were already starting in the green room. We already started a great conversation. If I want to start. Um, usually how we start the conversations is learning a little bit more about your background. So I'd love to start the topic of, you know, when did you get into SEO and, and kind of where did your passion come from? So it depends how far back we want to go. Let's, but let's do it. <laughs> it. It depends. He starts with it depends, of course. <laughs> God, I hate that I say that. I think it is the worst thing people say in SEO. And I'll just come right out and say it right now. Like, I hate when people say it depends because, like, if you're a consultant, you're getting paid to give an answer. It's like if, if someone, all right, this is terrible. But morbid, like you go to an oncologist and you're like, "Am I dying?" Well, it depends. You're like, well, I'm gonna go find another doctor that's gonna tell me whether this is gonna kill me or not. Like, as a consultant, I'd rather say like the wrong thing, but be really confident in it, and be like, "Look, there's a 99% chance I'm right." And then sometimes you're wrong. And be like, "That was the 1% because you're getting paid to be confident." And if you're an, an in-house employee and your boss or your boss's boss says, "All right, what's gonna happen here?" And you have no clue, but then you say it depends. You're like, I'm going to go hire someone that knows. And then you, yeah. you tell them. And like, especially when it's a CEO, they're not really like writing it down. Like, oh, you guarantee me this thing's going to happen. So <laughs> anyways, all right, that total tangent. How did I get him to start an SEO? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was, uh, I always wanted to work in Silicon Valley and live in Silicon Valley. And I, I moved out to Silicon Valley, uh, I don't know, 2006. And I took really the first job that, that came to me and it, it was at a company called Quinn Street, which uh, helped people that wanted to get a certain service, like a mortgage or their windows fixed or yeah. uh, credit card debt fixed. And then they helped the businesses that wanted to buy those leads. So I was kind of in the middle working with affiliates. And yeah. I, I hate to say this, but I say it all the time. It's sort of like the sewer of the internet. Like someone had to connect <laughs> really they, they had to be connected, right? Like people yeah. wanted to go to University of Phoenix and University of Phoenix needed them, but then you had to do all sorts of dirty stuff in the middle to get those traffic right there. And like, I had my own little small part in the, the subprime crisis in 2008, where I was like, we were paying $150 to our affiliates that had leads that were like, you know, 200 credit score. And we paid $4 for like an 850 credit score like that. That's subprime right there. And that didn't make any sense to me yeah. when they explained it, but I was like, all right, I'll go with it. That's what we're going to do. Anyways, so I'm working with these affiliates and they're getting, we're sending them like $50,000 a month checks. And I'm like, well, how did you drive all this traffic? And they're like, SEO. I was like, all right, your job is way more fun than mine. So I just like mm -hmm. sat with them and had them teach me what they were doing. And I started putting up my own sites. And at the time you got everything from Google. So yeah. I, I don't even remember what my first site was. 
And like I was, I didn't know Google Analytics existed. So I would go into logs and I'd see the queries people put in, like individual queries. Google passed those into the logs. Like one person searched one thing and it would be crazy. And I'd be like, wow. <laughs> like I'm talking like sentences, like, you know, <laughs> how do I kill my dog so my husband doesn't know? Like things like that. And I was like, why would Google send traffic like that to me? What happens if I make that like a title tag or what happens? And I was off to the races there. So then what I did was I started, I, I changed my resume and I said, I'm an SEO. And I had no idea what, what that meant, but neither did these other people who were sending $50,000 checks to. Wow. So I started interviewing for SEO jobs and until I convinced someone that I actually was an SEO and I, I got it, I got hired as an SEO. I was working at this startup and doing all the things that you do in SEO, this is a long, long time ago. My, I had a massive budget. It was like today it would be like a paid marketer's budget, but this, mm -hmm. this budget that I had was to buy links. So like I had like 30, I think I, at one point in time, I had $50,000 a month to buy links. And I was SEO, like I, I went and bought links on yep. these sites that don't exist anymore and uh, optimized PBNs. <laughs> no, the PBNs still exist. These were like broker sites. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And I, so that, that was, and then I was like working with, we had real content. Like that was the way we did SEO. We like, it was journalistic content, but like this is, you know, I, I'd have to convince a journalist to change things. And uh, that's really where I learned SEO. But where I really got my, like, let's call it a bachelor's degree in SEO mm -hmm. was when we got hit by Panda. And I, mm -hmm. and I, we had to recover from pandas. We lost like 65% of our traffic in one morning. By the time all was said and done, we lost 80% of traffic. So we went, this is a long time ago, so it doesn't sound like a lot of numbers, but we went from like 400,000 visits per month on one site down to like 60,000. Like it was just obliterated. We had advertisers that were like, had already bought this traffic and we weren't going to get this traffic anymore. And like learning how to like recover from that was like my bachelor's degree in SEO. And then from there, uh, once we recovered completely and that was like, I got all my technical SEO, I went over to SurveyMonkey where uh, my role was, I mean, I was hired as the first SEO they'd ever had in this 12 year old company and you know, huge brand. And I came in with like, and I put all this in my book, I came in with like all my bright ideas on how to do technical SEO and how to you know be really smart. And I'd, I'd done this, like I recovered from Panda, I recovered from all these penalties, I grew our traffic. Uh, I, at the time, well, I, was, I don't know if I was speaking at conferences yet, but I felt like I knew something about SEO. And then like my very first week, and this is like first thing in my book. So read my book now, you can skip the first few pages. But like <laughs> I come in with this great idea and this engineer tells me like, no, and marketing doesn't get to tell engineers what to do. And I, that was it. <laughs> my spot was completely blown up. And then this was wow. my graduate degree in SEO. And like, that's why I wrote my book on how to get things done. Like working within a company, like, I'm in a big company now. I before I'd been in a startup. Now I'm in a company. At the time, there are 100 people. Now serving like is like 2,000 people or something. How do I get all those people to do the things I want? They don't care about best practices. They don't care about. They don't care about SEO. They don't yeah. care how it works. They don't care about links and like how to make all that happen. And by the time I left, two thirds of global revenue was coming from organic. So like, wow. that was you know learning how to do that. They, that that's uh you know that really changed my perspective on SEO and, and really like all the dirty things I needed to do weren't necessary. Cause like Google wanted to send survey traffic to SurveyMonkey. It was about like, how do we make that happen? How do we teach Google what to do? And, you know, being at a big brand like that, I learned the value of things like links. Like we got yeah. links every day. We had links from every single government in the entire world. So wow. we had links from every single 
educational institution in the entire world. We got a link from, this is one of the first things they did. We got a link from the White House that pointed to a 404 page. So I wow. fixed the 404 page, I put a page under it and you know what, it didn't do anything. So like I could say with authority that like a whitehouse.gov link doesn't do much. And you know, in the subsequent years at SurveyMonkey, I got two more links from the White House. One of the times uh, Trump's uh, Secretary of Commerce, he ripped off a complete post from the SurveyMonkey blog, links and all. So we got all those links in there and you know what? It didn't do anything. So wow, that's yeah. hilarious. That's that he like crazy. ripped off the links. Yeah, I did most about SEO, like the, you know the underpinnings of how things were working. We're working in a brand like that where like Google was one of the investors. There were people at at SurveyMonkey who thought they could reach out to Google and ask questions, and sometimes Google sort of answered, and I was able to parse what they meant in those cases. Wow, wow, that's that's an amazing story. You know what's crazy too? Quinn Street, I worked with when I first came into uh, digital marketing. My first job, it was actually one of my biggest customers. So shout Super out to the internet, am I right? Yep. Shout out, shout out, to, shout out to Quinstry, shout out to Raymond and a team over there that I hope they I don't know if they're still there, but shout out to them. I remember we had to get a CPA of like 10 bucks and we had a bunch of traffic. We were doing display advertising. And so we had like top well fold um coverage right above the Google back when you know display was the big thing, but it was super hard optimizing to get a ten dollar CPA for those verticals they were going for. It was super hard. Super duper hard, and then so also necessary. You need yeah. those kind of businesses. Absolutely, and I wanted to touch on Panda too. So for those who aren't familiar, so Panda was a big update that happened in February 2011. It was basically aimed at you know lowering um, the rank for low quality sites, thin sites, content farms, all that good stuff, and really just wanted to return high quality sites back to the top of the top of the fold and top of the search results. Well, yeah, just to be clear on that, like Panda before panda everyone knew that they were doing the wrong thing so like what happened yeah. with us and pandas so we were a journalistic site uh on automotive content we wrote like authoritative stuff we had journalists that were invited to like you know ford's campus to like test drive cars we were like we were real we were as real as the new york times journalists that did the exact same things but we took advantage of google in the sense that like we multiplied that article on every single site we owned because that worked back then and mm -hmm. we syndicated it. So we syndicated our articles to the New York Times, which worked back then. But then you get all those, those quality signals in and Google's like, I think that you ripped off the New York Times. I don't care what that canonical said. You know, or I we, mm -hmm. we had our content yeah. in Yahoo Autos, like that's what Panda was. And you know, yeah. Google was fine, they were finally able to say they took all those quality signals and say, like, you can't multiply your content. Your content has to be high enough quality, or you don't get to be in the search results. And you know, the rules changed. And yep. I think in a good way. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so, gonna... so before when we're in the we're in the green room and you mentioned this, uh, we were starting to talk a little bit about the conference circuit with SEO, and you know how how it's evolved. I mean, you've been yeah. in the industry for a while, been doing conferences. Like, it's hard to get in and start and start actually like talking about because you and you're knowledgeable. Yeah. Why, why is it so hard? Like what's your perspective on the whole, on the whole SEO conference circuit? Yeah. So I, I love the <laughs> conference circuit and I love like all, I, I've met so many people in conferences. Like I know Mike from conferences Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and then I, you, you go to a conference, you see one person, you see him another place and then you're old friends and you're going out to dinner. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't like as at a conference attendee, it changed my career as a conference speaker. It changed my career because they gave me some of the credibility that like I was able to speak yeah. at other conferences and go to other conferences. And like the thing I really did at SurveyMonkey was like I had a certain budget per year to go to conferences and I multiplied that budget by speaking at conferences and being able to go to conferences for free. And then I could go to more of them. 
And that, like, you know, that was really fun and like I really, really learned a lot from that. So there, there are two things I think that you have to think about with conferences, which is they're all profitable companies or most of them are profitable companies. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like when they want to pick a speaker, they want to make sure that speaker is a sure thing. So they're or a sure thing from a profit standpoint. So there's two ways that they're going to measure. I didn't say the second way in our green room conversation. Yeah. There's two ways they're going to measure that sure thing. Way number one is have you spoken before and are you great on stage? I don't think I'm great on stage. I think I'm mediocre on stage, but I'm not going to like bomb, right? I hope I'm not going to bomb. <laughs> you guys work for someone that is awesome on stage. Like Mike is like one of the best people on He's stage. He fills out rooms and like there are all these other people we respect, like Rain Fishkin. Rain Fishkin can say whatever he wants on stage. Rain can rap and he'll on stage and people show up and like repeat <laughs> it. And repeat it. Like, they're, they're great people in our industry that are like great performers and or great people that share a lot of content yeah. and everyone wants to go hear them so they come to conferences over and over again the other thing is the brands and this is like how i initially got into conferences without actually having like a video of me speaking somewhere mm -hmm. so conferences always want to put logos up and say like hey we got like people from survey monkey here we have ibm yeah. we have you know all these other public companies so that's why you go to hear them now I could have said nothing, and I, my first presentation, probably at a PubCon or an SMX, was absolutely terrible. And I, I probably don't even have it on my computer anymore. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> you you got to surface it. We got to find that. I don't want to see this. Like, you know, people showed up in that room because SurveyMonkey was talking. I was representing a brand everyone knew. So yeah. that's the thing, and that's why it's so hard to get in conferences. And you know, I, I got so lucky that I got this job at SurveyMonkey. And I'll tell you how I got the job. Like. I didn't go to great schools and you know the people that interviewed me at SurveyMonkey, they'd gone to great schools. The reason I got the job at SurveyMonkey was because the person that hired me at Quinn Street, the recruiter, she was the recruiter at SurveyMonkey. So when I want to apply for that job, she like reached out to me. She just called me. She had my number from like, we worked together for four years at, or two years at, at Quinn Street. She called me, how's the family? How's the house? How are old friends from Quinn Street? Oh, by the way, that was your phone screen. Why don't you come in tomorrow for this interview? <laughs> so like, you know, I credit so much of my career to luck. You know, I right place, right time. I worked at a company like Quinn Street, met a great recruiter who I was friends with and had lunch with all the time at, at Quinn Street. That when other people applied for that job, she just put my resume at the top of the stack. She said, here's someone, maybe he's a terrible interviewer. You know, like maybe he's going to show up late and he's going to like have crumbs all over his shirt. Don't worry about it. I vouch for him <laughs> and that's how I get hired. And you know, everyone has ever got a job knows like once you get in the room with the interviewer, it doesn't matter whether you went to Harvard or, or University of Phoenix, exactly. that's your time to shine and to build that chemistry and connect and like let the, let the employer know that like they could take a bet on you. So she got me in that room and then I got the job at SurveyMonkey and then the rest was all up to me. Obviously I was good enough to like not get fired and to last <laughs> for almost seven years. So, so much luck and you know, that luck, got me on stages at conferences, which got me in other stages at conferences. And, you know, for anybody out there that is waiting for that chance to get out there. So I would say get to the biggest brand, biggest, worst brand you can think of because that it's a brand. <laughs> yeah. And then you yeah, can and say, you I for a brand. Yeah. Too. Like you connect people. I love that yeah, about yeah. you on LinkedIn. You're like, always. Oh, yeah. I love doing that. I love, you know, building that network and like, again, it, like we said, it, you got to get into conferences and they got to exactly. take a bet on you. So if I if I vouch for someone, that that could be enough for them to take a bet on someone. So I love passing that forward. Yeah. Well, was that something that you focused on, though? Was that was like, hey, look, I'm going to go to conferences. I'm going to develop my brand. Or was that something you kind of just, you know, got into? 
Oh, not at all. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) All these series of accidents. And I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, it all worked out. Like I wrote a book that I was going to sell to 100 people. Like I figured like I'm going to spend like two years writing this book because I have all these ideas. And then I'm going to go and maybe 100 my friends. My family is going to buy the book. Maybe some of my friends are going to buy the book because that's what friends do for friends. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, pitch to potential consulting clients. And they're going to be like, why should I trust you over these other people? And be like, I have a book. It's on Amazon. It's legit. Right. And a hundred people bought it. But then it turns out like all that other stuff, people actually bought the book and like, I'm so grateful, but that was not planned. I had no idea that I was going to sell so many books and that, you know, people were going to, you know, share about it and want to hear me talk about it. So series of accidents, it looks like a great plan. If you want to do that, have a bunch of serious accidents. Copy my accidents. <laughs> and, and dude, actually, so bringing bringing it back to the book and product led SEO. So like from the outside looking in, obviously SurveyMonkey is a software company, right? Mm-hmm. And so or SaaS, and like you know, so much of product led SEO. Like I've worked with a couple of companies where like did a review company, and it was all about like links back to the company, and that's product SEO. Or uh, a design company where it's all about polls about the best designs. Is it only apply to SaaS or can you use product-led SEO in other types of companies like e-commerce or anything? Yeah. How, how does that work? Yeah, so actually the opposite. I never work <laughs> with SaaS companies anymore. I think they, they're, with most SaaS companies, there's no fit at all for SEO. And the reason is, is because the attribution path is terrible. So think about it like this. Like I, I once talked to Google Cloud about an SEO role and I asked them why they were hiring for SEO because they have two competitors. They have Microsoft and they they have Amazon. No one's gonna like Google, I need cloud software and (laughs) Google Cloud's gonna be number one. And then they're just gonna be like, all right, let me pull out the platinum card and put a billion dollars on this and buy Google Cloud for my big company. Good point. Like you're not not the CIO of Netflix and you're gonna go to Google because they're number one. It's just not gonna happen. The way it's gonna happen is you're gonna find Google Cloud, you're gonna read about it and you're like, oh, that's very helpful because next time, next meeting is with Amazon and ask them all the questions I learned about from Google. Like that's the way SEO works. So if you spend millions of dollars on SEO, you're never gonna be able to prove there's ROI there. And I think at a smaller scale, that's the same problem for many SaaS companies. Mm-hmm. There's no way to prove that there's any value in the investment you made in SEO. I think product-led SEO and SEO in general is a far better fit for publishing companies for product companies, and I'll give you an example in a second, or for e-commerce. So like one of my favorite examples of like product-led SEO for for e-commerce is Amazon. Do you think like Amazon sat around in like 1999, they're like, all right, 2020, there's gonna be this pandemic. So we gotta figure out how to build links for hand sanitizer and masks, and we're gonna dominate. Like go Google for hand sanitizer and masks and they're number one. That is not because they went and created great content and had good keyword density, what Amazon did, and this is very smart that they did, and I've talked to the Amazon SEO team you know, years ago, is they focused on taxonomy. They focused on hierarchy. They focused on internal okay. links. They focused on how do you take the data sets and the corpus of stuff that's fed into them by the manufacturers and their distributors and distribute that through the page and build great SEO. And Google mm-hmm. loved it. And if you want to know what happens when you don't do that, Walmart is what happens when you don't do that. Target is what happens when you don't do that. Yeah. Best Buy, right? These brands, Walmart, Best Buy, Target, they own some search results, but they don't own it. results like Amazon. Amazon is always in the top two. And not because Google loves Amazon. Google hates Amazon. 
right? Google partnered with Walmart and Google Shopping to go build the anti-Amazon, but they couldn't put enough SEO into that. So Amazon is still Amazon. So that's product-led SEO. That's building into the product and not building for the keywords, right? If Amazon was optimizing for keywords in 1999, I think it would have all been adult keywords, but that's not who Amazon was. <laughs> <laughs> right, Amazon was like, how, how do we build for like the eventuality of having millions of products and being able to rank on a millions of products and like, you know, this is this is the result of that. And everyone's chasing Amazon and now they're 20 years behind. That's, yeah, that's that's a great example. You actually touched on it, you actually, answer kind of preemptively answer one of my next questions because you said something on the, the SEO live show with Dre and shout out to Dre man love that episode but you also said it. you said it, it's best when you go where there's no keyword research and you kind of touched on it right now but I want to know like why is the, that creativity so important in SEO too because I feel like there's not enough creativity in SEO I just feel like it's a we do this we go create content we make sure it fits for our audience and and things like that right so why is creativity so important creativity is so important because it's about the users right like I think it, it, this is what I really wrote my whole book about. You want yeah. to find where users are searching for if users are searching. So like going back to the Google Cloud example, like who is searching for Google Cloud and is going to buy Google Cloud? No one, right? No. There's no CIO that's doing that. Now flip that to like e-commerce. What are people looking to buy? What's the product they're looking for? They're looking for the name of the product. They're looking for the features of the product. They're not looking for the stuff in the review or unless they're looking for the word review. So you've yeah. got to get into the heads of the users and that's why creativity is important. If all you're doing is focusing on keyword research and what the keyword tools tell you, you've divorced yourself from the ultimate buyer, the person that's going to search and click. And mm -hmm. that's what Google's looking for. Google's constantly changing. Like I, you know, I know most people use, most people in our industry, they use iPhones. I think that's wrong. Yeah. I'm going to come out in favor of, of Android right now. And I'm going to come out in favor of the pixel, which is made directly by Google. And I know Google's spying on me with my <laughs> pixel, but that's okay because they make the products. But like, if you are an SEO and I, if, and Jared, I'm so I'm glad I'm remembering Privacy this. folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pri privacy folks. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So Jared, let, let me tell you an example. And I'm so glad I remember to say this. Okay. So I was prepping for our conversation today and I was lazy. So I was doing voice search on my, my pixel uh -huh. and I, I said rankable podcast. All right. Do you know how hard it is to say rankable podcast to Google when they're, <laughs> when, they're, when they're doing so they're looking for a bankable podcast? There was something about smokable podcast. There's a Google podcast. So what Google's doing is they're interpreting all those things in real time and results are changing. So like you do a query that may never have existed before. Google's going to try to interpret the intent. And I know Google every once in a while says how many queries are new. I think last time I heard it, they still say 15% of queries are new to Google. Wow. Like, that's what search is about. It's understanding the users and then all those new users are going to come in with those new queries. And guess what? If you create something that all the, and that's my product led SEO hypothesis, you create something that all those users are looking for, you're going to have more users looking and you're going to have Google wanting to bring those users to you because you created it. And, uh, you know, my example of that, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is Zillow. And, you know, I, I learned about Zillow from my early, early days at Quinn Street because what I was doing at Quinn Street was my specific focus was on mortgages. Mm -hmm. And Zillow was in the mortgage industry, but Zillow didn't do things like other mortgage companies. They didn't build links and try to rank on the word mortgage and try to rank on the word real estate. They scraped government data to build information on every single address in America. And when you find mm -hmm. every address in America and you want to buy that house, guess what you need to buy that house? You need a mortgage and you, you need a broker. 
right? So like that's why they came. They built that product that they knew, hopefully from user research that everyone was looking for, but there was no search volume for it. And there's still no search volume for my address. There's like, you know, the only people looking for my, the only thing that, that Zillow is competing on for that kind of search is Google Maps, right? Yeah. Like that's it. So like they built a product which drives, I don't know, it depends on how you interpret it, but let's say 90% of their search traffic is coming from those things. Like that's incredible. That is product led SEO. That's Amazon, right? Like Amazon, you know, people are searching for Amazon as a keyword, but they're also searching for all those products. That's product led SEO. Yelp is the same thing. They're searching for like the names of the places, not they're not searching for Yelp. And it, and Yelp through that is dominating on all the names of the places that those places can't own themselves because they don't do SEO. That's amazing. So, so right. to, to that point, Eli, then obviously audience research is huge. What's your philosophy when it comes to audience research? Like, how do you figure out what people are searching for? Whether yeah. it's like, you know, their, their geographic colloquialisms, their, you know, like how they talk, yeah. their, you know, their, their age groups, like, how do you like recommend for people? Okay. We'll figure out what the users are doing. You got to talk to the right people. And that's like, again, <laughs> why I wrote my book product led SEO. Like I believe SEO is a product. And when you're in product, you always talk to, well, actually there's a concept of product market fit, right? So like, if you don't have product market fit, you're just building stuff for fun. So yeah. like when you're product, you're building stuff because you know you have product market fit. And if you're an SEO, you need to talk to those product folks and understand the users and do your research and actually talk to real users. Yeah. I'm working with a client right now and we're it's an e-commerce site and they were just doing keyword research. And I encouraged them to like talk to actual users and they're like, we did. Here are 25 user interviews we did. And now I'm going through that. And now I'm getting the demographic data. Now I'm understanding why people yeah. buy from them instead of Amazon and why people love them instead of Amazon. And now I can create SEO for them instead of like SEO because Ahrefs, SEMrush, any other exactly. research tool told me that that is what people are looking for. That's amazing. Have you been in sales? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm so Eli, I'm sold, brother. I'm about to buy it right now. Amazon. Where do I get my autograph? <laughs> of course, I've been in sales. That's what I did at Quinn Street, and then I was like, "That's I, I want to make fifty grand a month with websites in my basement." Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, I, I'm like, I love you. I love the way you you broke it down just now. Like, I love the fact that you the way you applied the product like SEO, the way that you said creativity, knowing your audience, right? You'd be surprised how many conversations I'm on every single day and people still don't know who the hell their audience is, right? And you'd be surprised how many companies we were talking about, me and Garrett were talking about this earlier, that what, marketing, SEO, this shit doesn't have to be so boring, right? <laughs> right? Like, so that's why I love your energy, right? And how you're, how you're saying, right? Understand what Google's focus is, right? If you understand what Google's focus is, in order to try to provide a better experience for their users, and you're for the one, and if you're the one providing that experience to help their users, you're going to be rewarded for it. Same way on LinkedIn, same way on Instagram, Facebook. It's all algorithm. Know the algorithm and work towards it and add your own flavor to it, right? There's still going to be some technical things you have to do to get a certain result, but your creativity is what's going to shine through. Like, absolutely. And, and tying back to what we said about conferences, like Google is a, a for profit business. Yeah. Google's not out there to send free traffic to stuff. And if you do good product led SEO and you're Zillow and you create a really good thing that people want to look for, you know what Google's going to do? They're going to sell ads on it. They want yeah. this, right? So Google's all about it. Like, let's think about Google 10 years ago when Bing might have been, not maybe more than 10 years ago, when Bing might have yeah. been a threat. They needed you to go on, on Google and stay on Google and not be like, well, 
I didn't like the results on Google, so therefore I'm going to go try Bing. That's what it's all about. Google's not about satisfying websites. They're about making sure that users search over and over and over again. And I probably search 100 times a day. And every yeah. time I do a voice search on my phone and it works out, I'm like, I'm going to do another one of these. And I, you know, I, I don't want to navigate directly to iPoll rank. I want to Google and find it, go directly to the podcast yeah. and give myself a click. And when you're satisfying Google, yeah. Google will bring the right users to you. When you're satisfying what you think Google wants to satisfy, you're just tasting your tail. It's, it's so you're interesting gonna, too, because you brought it up with like Google versus Amazon. And that's, that's one of the battles that Google lost, right? Or feels like they lost is Amazon. And Amazon is its own search engine as well. How do people like approach, like, can you apply product-led SEO to Amazon as a search engine? Mm, that's a great question too. I'm going to go with, I don't know there instead of it depends. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. So I, I think that every search engine today operates off the same principles. Google has won the market. And like every time I do a survey on like, you know, Twitter or like what search engines do you use? And I'm like, do you use Google or Bing? And then like someone comes out and be like, I use DuckDuckGo because no, there's no privacy. There's no track. But they're all the same, right? Like yeah. whether it's Yandex whether it's Google, whether it's Bing, they're all trying to interpret quality signals and link signals yeah. and content signals and user behavior signals to do the same thing. Google has a head start because they've been doing this for 20 years. The only search engine, well, there's two search engines that are not like Google. One of them is Baidu in China yeah. because they do a little bit more pay to play, which that's China. And uh, the other one is Naver, which is in Korea. And the cool thing Google did in, in Korea, so Naver is the is the biggest search engine in Korea, and it's kind of like AOL. If anybody's ever looked at it, and like I learned Naver at SurveyMonkey, and I really got exposure to like international SEO. So like there's search, and then there's like blogs that are Naver blogs, and then there's like Q and A that's like Quora. So it's like all embedded. Google's winning Korea also with their Trojan horse, which is Android. So most Android phones are made in Korea. So Samsung and LG, like those are the biggest makers of Android phones. And they come with Google on the phone. And you just kind of figure out that Google's a better search engine than Naver. And before you know it, Google's overtaken that country too. So like wow. all search engines are all the same. So I think Amazon likely uses the same kind of signals. If you do a search on Alexa on your, your Alexa device, it's going to give you similar results to if you do a yeah. search on your Google Assistant on your Google Home device. And that's because they're like, same thing, machine learning, what do users want? So to your question, Probably, I just have never tried it. Actually, do you have do you have extra time, Eli? Because I do. Want to I, I'm good. But this is great. I want to keep talking. I, I, I love it. All right, cool, man. Because I've got time, man. I wanted to ask you, man. What do you think is the what is the ceiling for for pot? I mean, for voice search right now, right? Obviously, it's going to explode, right? But how? What are some things that SEO should be looking at to optimize, or you know, to be looking to in order to start taking over that real estate? Oh, that's a that's a. I love this question. The voice search is not a different kind of search. Mm -hmm. This thing is all made up, mobile search, voice search, um, image search. It's all just search. What it okay. is doing is it's expanding the tail of search into the places where you have to go, where you want to be, create, you want to be creative. Another thing on, on Android devices is Google Lens. It's, in, it's embedded in the camera where you could take yeah. a picture of something and that what well, Google Google is a textual search engine. So you take a picture of something. Google's like, all right, you took a picture of a chair and then it translates the, the chair into text strings in whatever language your, your browser is set to. It's just doing a text search and finding you other chairs as if you searched it with words. Voice search is the same thing. So the long tail mm -hmm. of voice search is like, 
I want to be very specific. I can say I want to look at rankable episode number 47 with Anton, or if that was the right episode. And then Google's like, that might not have been something I would type in, but that is something I'm going to speak. So now you have to be really creative. So like, and when every time Google satisfies one of those results, it teaches Google that you, or teaches users that you can do those long tail searches. So you can say, instead of saying best places to eat lunch near me, it'll be like best places to eat lunch near me that are, that's less than $5. That is a two minute drive away. And Google's going to interpret that as near me two minutes. Okay. I can drive this amount of distance in two minutes and within a certain amount of time. So Google's now saying, all right, I want to take what the best lunch places are and then look in the reviews and look for the word fast. Right. So like Mm. that's what it has done so that that's what voice search is. It's taking voice to strings and really stretching the long tail. So if you want to really understand how to do SEO for voice search, talk to your users, find out what they're looking Mm -hmm. for. It doesn't matter whether it's on voice or with image on a phone or on a desktop, you know, it's all going to be the same thing as users looking for something with intent. I like like that answer so much better than what you normally hear. Cause like a lot of people like take the, the, like out of context, you can optimize for voice search. Well, yeah, but it's, it is more nuanced as what you said. It's really what they're asking is, you know, you should be kind of optimizing for long tail search for these colloquialisms. Like there are ways to do it. And, you know, with MUM coming out, you know, and bird, obviously the natural language processing, being able to understand what you're asking because we talk in a different way than we search. That's just a different type of optimization. Yeah. And, and just to throw another product endorsement in there for, for pixel phones. I don't pay the man. revenue. I should. <laughs> when you do a, a voice search on, on your phone and I love doing this, I watch Google change in real time. So like I say rankable podcast and Google's like, bankable okay i don't know if there's a bankable so they're interpreting i could slur my words i could be drunk and google has to try to figure out what i'm saying so now they're putting together all those strings let's say i say rankable podcast episode 48 and google's like all right podcast sounded like basket but there's no episode when when you tie together basket in 48 oh there's this other podcast that doesn't have 48 episodes in real time it's interpreting what i'm doing so that's all baked into the phone and now google takes all that and they say you know what? that's really good we're going to pass it over to the search engineers and we're going to incorporate that into the algorithm. And that becomes MUM. That becomes BERT. So like exactly. I use my phone to see the directions Google's going, like Google Lens. Like I think it's so silly that people are like, oh, you need to have like image alt tags on things. How do you need an image alt tag if I can take a picture of a chair and Google says that's a chair? They can look at my website and say that's a chair. One of my favorite searches I like to do when I do this by voice search is I live in Texas. Uh, and I moved from California. And one of the things I have in Texas, which you don't have in California, it's just bugs, right? Like there's like crazy bugs and I assume they're all bad. So sometimes I'll take a picture of them and Google will say, oh, that's the Latin name of this bug and it's going to bite you. Or sometimes Google will be like, oh, that one's just in the garbage cans. But sometimes I'll speak them and I'll say, okay, Google, I've got a long bug. It's got like 85 legs and it has four eyes. And then Google will interpret that and be like, all right, here's the Latin name of this bug. So wow. that's voice search. That's like, and I Google knows that I'm asking for a bug. They know that I'm asking for a place to eat. So that you got to talk to users. You got to be real and understand like who you're optimizing for. You're optimizing for that, not for, not for Google. Yeah. 
Oh, it's, so, it's so cool. I, I, I mean, that. Jared, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got five more minutes, Max. I've got five more minutes, <laughs> Max. Max, you got five. I'm out. If you got Wait, five, I, I didn't bring something I actually should be selling. I've got a lot of this stuff in my book. Go check out the book. Yes, yes, yes please check yeah, out the book. Let me know gonna, what you think. I'm definitely going to read it, man. I definitely want my autograph, brother. And I would love, like, before we before we end this off, man. What is your pie in the sky pie in the sky prediction for SEL in the next five years? Where do you think the industry is headed? What is something that people should be looking out for now? And you know, what should we be? You know, like I said, what we should be preparing for? So I think SEO is never ever going to die because people are never going to stop searching. Absolutely. Like I have clients right now. Oh, we were talking about sales and selling. I want I forgot to say this point. Uh, Jerry, you're in a sales role externally to clients. A lot of people listening and that will be listening to this. They may be in internal sales roles where they need to convince their higher ups to invest in SEO. Yeah. So therefore, just like you're doing external sales and you need to understand what the client wants, you need to do that exact same thing internally. Your boss doesn't care about canonicals unless like your boss is like a director of SEO. Your, yeah. if your CEO only cares about making money from search. And like I have this a lot of times with my consulting clients. They will come in with beliefs like I have a client that doesn't believe that their user base searches. They think their user base only uses Instagram. They don't do any search. They don't use Facebook. They only use Instagram and Snap and TikTok. So they only want to be in those places. And I, I know they're wrong. So I have to prove that they're wrong. Yeah. So that's my pie in the sky belief in SEO is that like search is never going to die. We're always going to be searching. It's just going to change. It's like who would have thought like I think about like when I was getting hit by Panda, <laughs> who would have thought in 2021 that I could talk to my phone <laughs> my, right? Seriously. My phone was be able to do all these things and have a great camera on. It's like, we don't know where we're going to be five years from now, but search is just going to change and it's only going to get better because it's here to stay. Like, you know, years ago when you had like a question, you're like, oh, this is a really good question. Maybe I'm aging myself here, but like you go, like, I'm going to go look go to the library. I'm going to find out the answer to this question. I'm just like really curious about like, you know, what day the World War II started or something like that. Now you have questions all day and you just get answers all day and you don't go to Wikipedia, you just search. We're all, we, we've become more yeah. curious people and Google's always going to be the answer to that or another search engine's always going to be the answer to that. So stay ahead of that. Look where users are going and that's what search is going to be. And I think that it's only going to improve more. You know, all the yeah. things that Google's doing, like Google, I think they said they're, they're trying another attempt at glasses. All that's going to be is searches like yeah. more ways of searching. So you want to appear more, you know, I think Google's probably going to get slapped a little bit when it comes to antitrust. So you yeah. can like other opportunities to show up on Google and that's good. So that's my- I don't know, man. I don't know if it's ever going to happen if it hasn't happened at this point. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a client, so this is the first time I feel like Google really overstepped. I have a client in a space that YouTube dominates that space. So you do a search and you can go check, I put it on Twitter. I don't want to say the name of the client. But like, yeah. There, if you do a search for the, what this client does, there are three pages of just YouTube. That's wrong to me. Like, there are other video services out there. If Google has determined the best solution to this is video or audio, they could put Spotify or Vimeo. They don't have to put three pages to like the product they own and sell advertising on. That to me, that should be illegal. Like, you want yeah. antitrust to come in and say Vimeo and Spotify all get a fair shake at this. Absolutely. So, or Apple or Netflix or whatever. But like, I, I do think Google gets dialed back a little bit. And I, I do think that like search is very, very much here to stay. No one can predict what it will be like. Cause again, who would have thought in 2021, we could talk to our phones. 
who would have thought sure. 2017, you know, the voice search in home devices would be a real deal. Like it is, this stuff yeah. is all here to stay. There's like, go to Best Buy and look at how many shelves they have on like voice search devices, whether it comes from Google or Amazon or yeah. Apple and Microsoft, like no one's investing billions of dollars in these things. Oh, and Facebook, sorry, Facebook, Facebook's trying to, right? Like yeah. no one's investing billions of dollars in these things if that wasn't the future. Absolutely. User behavior is weird, though. It's like adoption, right? To your point about Google Glass, and I know, and I, I, we could just keep going with all of this, but it's like at some point, people are like, "Okay, I'm willing to talk to these devices," and then once, like you know, then then it hits up, and and everyone's doing it. Like it hasn't happened with Google Glasses. I wonder if that'll yeah. ever be a tech that'll be adopted, or if we get some Black Mirror stuff at some point where people have the contact lenses and they're like, you know, able to see it. I I don't know, but at some point. It'll take off and be adopted. It, it will. I, it will. I think it was too early. I, first too of all, early. it looked dumb and it was too useless. It was like the <laughs> same kind of stuff. Right? Like at the time, you could do all those searches on your phone. So why do you need like a bulky $1,500 pair of glasses to do that? So I think we'll get to the point. And also like now there's going to be a different issue with privacy. Like always on recording. Is that okay? Are you Because yeah. now you're doing voice search. Do you know like – how many devices there are out there that are doing like, oh, we all have it on like our, our doorbells. They could do like facial recognition. We've yeah. gotten to a point where like Google Glass is going to be like, you didn't realize it, but you walked by like, you know, this famous person today. And uh, I don't know if you, you noticed, but like that person was actually shoplifting. Like there's too much going on. So maybe like now it's not okay. Back then, like it couldn't do that. The technology didn't exist. But like maybe that's going to be a bigger issue today. Yeah, that, that's yeah, it definitely. It was wrong time, bad timing for that. Like you said, it was dumb. It was not affordable. <laughs> not too many use cases. But you hit on, you know, when you, when you were just speaking just now, you hit on one of the main points, right? Go to where your users are. And that's simple, right? And it's too often that people are still taking the same playbook from 2000 and thinking that your customers are going to do the same thing in 2021. And it's not true. The pandemic flipped everything. Digital acceleration has been skyrocketing right so you have to be there and, I, and that's kind of like my prediction too for sales right you kind of hit on it you the way you sell seo is you take these metrics you take these principles of seo keyword research content strategy um audience development and research and all those things and then you tie it back into revenue right how are these actions are going to turn into revenue and then that's how you sell into the c-suite right and as far as sales what the prediction is for moving forward is going to be like what you've done in your career you went on the market, you went on the, the conference circuit, right? You build your brand, you build that credibility. That credibility affords you opportunities to have conversations with enterprise brands. And then when they reach out to you, I'm pretty sure you know it, you don't have to sell. You just have to be yourself, right? Because they already know that you're credible. They know that you, you're, you're gonna give them good information. They know that you care about, you're a genuinely good person because they've been following you, right? So that's where sales is gonna be. I think that's where SEO is gonna continue to go. So anybody listening, go where your users are, feel free to adapt add creativity, man, and just be yourself and do all those things that, you know, Eli was referring to, because this was, this was a lot of gems, a lot of random moments book. today. It's and all Eli's book. book. Buy, <laughs> get, get the book and, and buy a pixel and send me affiliate. <laughs> but, but yeah, I just Dude. want to say, like, what you said is, like, you've gotten better in your career at selling because you've learned, you've had those experiences. Yes. And that's what search is. Like, Google is not Google 20 years ago because of all that machine learning they've done. And, like, you acknowledge that. Like, Google learns every time we do a search, whether it's on each individual query or each individual URL, who knows if they do that, but like they're improving. So just like humans improve, like you touch a hot stove and you're like, oh, not doing that again. Google's like, oh, I did a, here's the result. Someone clicked number 10 or they went to page three of search. What about those first two pages were bad? Let's learn. 
Like that's what Google is. So Google five years from now is going to have five more years of learning on billions of users. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, you, we can end that. That was, uh, this is a great conversation. I know we keep going, man, but I just want to thank you so much, Eli, man. Like this was a great conversation. I definitely have to listen back to this. I can't wait to see the clips and all that stuff, man, but I'm a fan of yours. I'm an even bigger fan now. I'm having this conversation, man. We're definitely rooting for you always. I'm going to send you my link when I buy the book, man. Please, if you put a little signature, man, JP, I'd appreciate you because when you blow up, when you go to the moon, man, I want to be, that's my guy. <laughs> oh, yes. Right, brother. All right, thanks, Jared. Thanks, Garrett. All right, much thanks, love, brother. You. Thank you again, guys, for tuning in. We'll be back next week. We've got Joe Manor from Nextiva. We're going to talk about influencer relationships and kind of the sim similar thing we were talking about just now, how to build your brand and how does that go into relationships. So super excited. Um, Eli, thanks again, brother. And, you know, we'll keep in touch, man. And we'll see you guys next week. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks again, man. See you guys. Bye -bye.